killing the world as they prove to the famous podcast. It's the hottest message out there. When I'm killing, I'm always proving it's the same. Yeah, the hottest podcast out there. Oh, yes. Very informative. When I'm home, Tim, I'm always tuned in for days. He has the hottest podcast out here. When I'm home, Tim, in the world, I stay tuned to the famous podcast. It's the hottest message out there. trying to figure out some puzzles. I'm not here to start nothing. I ain't trying to start nothing. Just got some things that I want to get done. Some things that I want to get solved. Some things I want to enlighten myself with. So maybe y'all take a time and to get the opportunity to stop by and listen to my thoughts. Hope so. Very intellectual. So, if you get time, just holler at me. I'm reminiscing all in my room. Just trying to figure out a whole lot of things. Until then, y'all have a great day. And thank you for coming in and listening to me. Thanks. they should be there and have been historically I, I, I find no argument it, it, from where I sit remember the history of the organization of African unity if you trace the history of the OAU and its founding in 1963 it was fundamentally a, a victory of what was called the Monrovia group and the Monrovia group at that time was a grouping of African countries who are seen to have been manipulated by the French regime, led as it then was by Félix Houphé-Boigny of La Côte d'Ivoire. And that must be seen in contradistinction to the group that was then known as the Casablanca group led by Kwame Nkrumah and Ahmed Ben Bella of Algeria. And this is the group that held the view that Africa needs to unite and that therefore we should have a United States of Africa. The creation of the OAU was therefore a victory of the neo-colonial project, if you may. And when it transitioned to the OAU during the new push led by individuals such as Libya's Muammar al-Gaddafi, it was also a statement that given the history of Israel as a nation that is undermining the interests of the Palestinians, they ought not to find a place at the table of an organization which has a history of the struggle for decolonization. And it is in that context that I want uh, the objection to the presence of Israel at the AUC. That's an important point to make, Tism, that it is the only Jewish state and it is being denied observer status. And what I'm hearing you say, if I'm correct, uh, is that it's not, that the primary reason uh, that Israel should not be a member of, or have observer status, is because of its treatment of the Palestinian people and sort of how that 
contrasts with uh, an organization that is birthed out of uh, an anti-colonial political posture. Is that accurate? That, that is accurate. And let us be bold about this. We know the history of Israel. But Israel plays the anti-Semitism card too quickly. Even when there are other critical issues at play, there is nothing anti-Semitic in taking the position that you've got to treat other people right if you've got to sit at a table where people are equal partners. That is the argument. Anti-Semitism is, is a card that is being played to make others have a sense of guilt and is one that we should reject in this case. And, and to be clear, uh, Israel is not the only nation that you would reject uh, having observer status. Uh, many Western European nations would receive similar uh, critique or wariness from you with regard to observer status based on their role in relation to Africa. Is that is that is that is that correct? I have no doubt that, that if we had any European nation or any Asian nation, for example, right now. If Indonesia were to say that it wants to enjoy observer status at the AU, we would ask them, how are you treating the Western Samoans? If Myanmar were to ask to enjoy observer status at the AU, we would tell them, how are you treating your Muslim population? So that argument is one that is founded on objectivity and is not founded on other considerations, which people sometimes put on the table simply to give or to to impose a sense of guilt and therefore to torpedo objective decisions that may be taken. Help me understand as a practical matter what this new status would mean for the state of Israel. What benefit what benefits, what privileges, uh, what power uh, with, within the African uh, Union comes from observer status? There is a sense in which observer status is, is not properly defined under the instruments of the OAU, but if one goes by practice, it means that Israel would be present and would be eligible to be invited activity and activities of the, organized, of the African Union and to participate on the basis of what is determined from time to time, not only by heads of states and government, but even by the Secretariat. But remember that the OAU AU is also an organization that depends on donor financing. And it's very easy when one enjoys such a status to use the power of the purse to influence processes. And I think that that perhaps maybe the subterranean approach that Israel may want to play, knowing as it does, that this is an organization which has a huge appetite for money that is given by other powers. This is part of the argument that, that is used not only by European countries, the United States of America, and more increasingly China, that because African countries as they are presently constituted, small and in some cases not even viable, need to be helped in different sectors. And this is an argument that has been put forth since uh, countries started regaining their independence. And I hold the view that a more united Africa and Africa that uses our resources a lot more effectively is capable of solving most of our problems. I refuse to believe that technologically we must kowtow to Europe and America, that in terms of working on our infrastructure, we must kowtow to Europe and America. I believe that the 1.4 billion of us, if we were coordinated at the African Union under the aegis of the African Union, and if we were to use our resources I've already said, we are capable of negotiating with these powers from a position of parity. What Europe and America and China progressively does, and that also includes Israel, is to isolate African countries. You go to Benin with a population of 2 million, with a GDP of 11 billion United States dollars, and you tell them if we don't come into your country, then you are going to die. And, and that argument is very attractive if you have a myopic view of things and if you have a provincial view of things. So the solution to this 
is what Kwame Nkrumah said in 1963. The, the imperialist does not change its DNA. The imperialist changes its masks. And as long as we remain disunited and divided, they will come back under the guise of investment, however defined. And I think we must now be bold enough to say enough is enough. In any event, these things that Europe and America and China and everybody else calls development, is it really development? Is it really development if you have all these edifices and the people are hungry? What is development as Mwalimu Nyerere posed in 1967? Is development not the improvement of the circumstances of a people in its totality? We must redefine development, not as handed down to us by the conceptual West and China. We must be able to define development for ourselves. Let me ask you a question before uh, we go. Uh, Haiti was denied member status in 2016. We Many of us expected Haiti to be admitted, but it was not. The argument against Haiti was that it was um, not on the continent of Africa. Of course, that makes the decision to admit Israel even more sort of puzzling. Uh, but beyond Israel for a moment, I'm thinking about what it means for Haiti to not be admitted into the AU when the sixth region of the AU has been considered the diaspora. Why, why not Haiti? It would seem to me that Haiti would benefit uh, as much as it would contribute to the kind of unity, the type of progressive vision, the type of powerful self-determination that you're talking about. The, the kind of reasoning that informed the denial of Haiti is, is what I call jaundiced reasoning. If you have accepted that the diaspora is the sixth region of the African continent, and if you proceed from the premise that the whole idea of pan-Africanism was actually birthed in the Caribbean, you go to people like Williams of Trinidad and Tobago, you go to people like Marcus Garvey, you go to people like W.B. Dubois, and you look at those who are in the diaspora, and I'm talking about... Uh, the Caribbean, including Haiti and including Brazil and Belize and countries of that nature, whose heritage is traceable to African continent, then the argument to deny Haiti the status that you now want to accord Israel is without basis. And, and, and understand the AU. The AU as presently constituted lacks what I call uh, intellectual true north. True north defined to mean pan-Africanism as defined and intellectually implemented as conceived by the founding fathers. The AU has become a body that responds to the dictates of a few countries that finance our affairs. Primarily now we know that France does play a very dominant, albeit surreptitious role in the activities of the AU. We also know that China, because of the goodies that it has been able to bring about to the AU, also plays a very subterranean role. The AU will become more independent, a lot more predictable, and a lot more intellectually and practically relevant to African peoples when it cuts the umbilical cord that links her to the neocolonialists. Because the neocolonial project is alive and well, and is one that the puppeteer to be found in the conceptual West and increasingly in China, uses to manipulate the secretariat. And until that is done away with, the OAU will always kowtow to those powers to the detriment of the greater vision of the African peoples. See, y'all, we want to think about that Haiti is our people. Haiti is a part of Israel. So, 
you know, uh, I, I listened to him, and when he's talking about the AU, the AU that they put up is something just like the NAACP. White people started, white people allowed to happen, and white people behind, behind the thing making things happen. And just like he said about France and China, China is not doing things unless it's obligating China. You can't, the Bible, the, the Most High got something to deal with China anyway. Moab or Moabite, one of them. One of them Russia and one of them China. And, um, and, 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 and that AU and all that other organization that they set up, all that is invalid. What y'all put up there, the white man and, and what, what what other nations doing is trying to keep y'all separated and not join together because they know if we join together, game over. And and the people in Africa that stand in Africa, y'all got y'all got the world back. When the true children of God come on back over there, y'all got the wall back. Y'all gonna bow down. Because the most high gonna show y'all who the true children of God and the order that he put us in. And what we gonna do and how we gonna do it. You know, we got a whole lot of people that's smart and intelligent and know more about the most high, but he don't know he don't know when checkmate is about to make happen though. And when checkmate happen and what formed out of the checkmate. So we got so many people that always acting like they know everything or wanna go against the, the true scriptures. But you know, I talk to people and they don't believe in the scriptures and they always second guessing the scriptures. You know, three fourths got to be put in put in that pot, yo. Three-fourths of Israel, that's not even including the other nation, uh, including our nation, three-fourths of them got to go in the pot. That's not even including the other nations. So I understand that, and most of y'all need to understand that too. Three-fourths is going into the pot. So those people that be talking and all that reckless talk, they on the three-fourths, let them be on the three. Let them feel that. Let him let them fill that void up. So you won't be a part of that. And everybody want we as people of African descent, all of us, we need to join together and keep all these other nations out of our business. That's what y'all want to do. Y'all want to keep your uh, Britain in your business, United States in your business, China in your business, Russia in your business, and all these French and Spain and all them other European, all these other European nations in your business. And when you put people in your business, then they know how to handle how they they are they they they, they don't mean no good. Only only people. Only people so far on the map that I think that means a little good to us, I give them. The Bible said never trust your enemy. So I give them 45% and that's Russia. So, therefore, you know, if the Bible said never trust your enemy, and we already know the Caucasian man through history says that we are their enemy, treated us like they are our enemy and all this other stuff. But we got, we caught up in our emotions and our feelings and cause we got somebody white in our, in our, in our, in our circle that we got to feel a certain type of way. When the most high judged our people, he judged the good people too. Everybody in our nation had to go through this. <clears throat> and then, because you so free-hearted, because I got to throw the white flag on you, the handkerchief, the white handkerchief on you, you made a fire. White handkerchief mean what? Handkerchief Negro. And there's a whole bunch of handkerchief Negroes out here. And they got it so bad that they don't even know it. That's the problem. Do you 
understand different African countries and their meaning? Yes. Uganda. Uganda. Unique generation and naturally developmental Africans. Yes. Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Economically top. Healthy income. Organized people in Africa. Okay. Nigeria. Nigeria. Nice individuals generally ever roaming in Africa. Yes. Somalia. Somalia. Some of meaningful achievers live in America. Yes. Kenya. Kenya. Keenly educated, noisy young Africans. Okay. Sudan. Sudan, simple unity divided Africans need. Rwanda, Rwanda, rich with absolute national development agenda. Congo, Congo, common original natural gold opportunities. Cameroon, Cameroon, common Africans mostly energetic, recognizable obviously on neighbors. Ghana, Ghana, gifted, hardworking and no-nonsense Africans. NRG, NRG, new radio generation. What is that? New radio generation. What do you mean? Go back to Uganda and listen to 106.5. You know, and it's so bad, yo. You get black police officer. I'm going to show you a handkerchief, a handkerchief Negro against a real Negro. Y'all judge for yourself which one is the handkerchief Negro. One of them is the police, police, black police officer. And you already know who the other one is, my main man. Asking somebody for all sex. It's been all on the news. And I don't like police chief. Well, what? I, I disagree with what you just stated. I disagree with what you just stated. You didn't never hear that. I disagree with what you just stated. I don't you made know it. You made, you made it sound like a fact. And you don't know that. You say I made it sound like a fact. You I said it was all on the news. That they were talking about booth and all sex. That a lady right there on Channel 12, Miss Dawes, who I think ran it and then put the complaint on the um, Channel 12 website. And I'm saying I, you the chief. I don't and care. I don't know care who's was, in here. Right, I, I asked you ask the question. Talk, I asked you. So if you angry because I'm bringing it up. No, I'm angry okay, because... Okay, then, go and talk to the cows. Come on, I will. you finish, I'll talk to you. You're always accusing someone of cover-up. The only person that covers up anything is you. You don't even make convicted of covering up anything. What am I covering up? The, 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 the mic is yours. Am I covering I'm up a girlfriend? Am I covering up a dope? What am I covering up that you just accused me of publicly? What am I covering up? Go ahead, the mic is yours. See, Chief, you discredited yourself in front of me. I think you're a liar to say I'm going to cover up. You the police. Tell this public what you are me of covering up. Is it dope? Is it girls? Is it our... Because I can talk about some of what I think you don't want to cover up. <laughs> so go ahead. You said it with a frown on your face. You the big man. Tell this public and counsel I'm asking you respectfully. What am I covering up? Or you just said that to try to defame or discredit me? Because I said you knew about the Booth case. Go ahead, don't get quiet now. You was out talking to me. What are you alleging that I'm covering up, Chief? I got to take it. You say what? Yeah, man, everything's racist. Think about it. Your streets are named after prominent racists in your city, state, or throughout history. Washington, Jackson, Jefferson, Lee, all slaveholders, all racists. Your schools, elementary, middle, and high school are named after prominent members of your community who are probably racists. Take mine, for example. My middle school was named after Forrest Comer White, a white supremacist who tried to commit murder-suicide by airplane, and our school mascot was a Confederate rebel. Even your institutions of higher learning have their roots in racism. Harvard, Yale, and Brigham Young University is named after racist Brigham Young, who tried to eradicate Native Americans by poisoning them. Traffic? Racism. Instead of building highways in the most efficient ways, they ran them specifically through black and brown neighborhoods, and now we have traffic because of that. Seasonal allergies? Racism. It's the beautification of the white parts of town with only male trees that continuously pop off pollen with no female trees to absorb them. That's why you have seasonal allergies. Racism. Tipping? Racism. White store owners didn't want to pay black employees anything, so they said, if your service is good, leave it up to the customer to pay you, and that's how we got tipping. Student loans? 
racism. College used to be free. That is until black people started going to college. And then now you have to pay. And if you can't pay, you take out a student loan. The prohibition on cannabis. Racism. You see, it used to be legal. That is until white people wanted to demonize Mexicans, so they renamed cannabis marijuana, spelled with an H, to sound like Tijuana, so they could justify the mistreatment of Mexican people. That Ford truck you drive? Racism. Henry Ford was so racist that Hitler had a picture of him at his desk. He was inspired by the efficiency of his assembly line and used that efficiency to efficiently kill more people. He also got the inspiration for his gas chambers from America's gassing and delousing of Mexican migrants at the border. Argentina is 96% white because of racism. Mexico is known as a mestizo country because of racism. And brown people all around the world are bleaching their skin because of racism's twin sister colorism. Cancer rates in the South? Racism. You see, they like to build petrochemical plants near black and brown neighborhoods, thus giving us higher rates of cancer than those around us. Matter of fact, right here in Louisiana, Mossville, Louisiana, used to be a thriving black town founded by black people, but it was later bought out by a petrochemical plant and bulldozed. Racism. It affects every part of our daily lives, and until we acknowledge that, we can't change it, because we can't change what we refuse to acknowledge. And that's why racism continues to thrive in this country, because we've raised generations of people to be willfully ignorant of it. Let's begin. Chinese and Japanese hate each other. Indians and Pakistanis can't stand each other. Vietnamese and Cambodians do not want to be in the same room at all. Turks and Armenians hate each other. Turks and Greeks also hate each other. Turks and Kurds, they hate each other too, honestly. Turkey is the ninny leaks of Europe. They always at the center of some shit. You got the Russians and the Chechenians, they always arguing. Hungarians and Roma, Dinka and the Noor, the Irish and the British, Scots and the British, English and the British. I, honestly, that whole island hate itself. Ghana and Nigeria. Now, from what I understand about this beef, this one is mostly about rice. See, here's the thing. Nigerians think Ghanaian rice tastes like concrete, and Ghanaians think Nigerian rice is a bigger international crime than their email scams. Fortunately, centuries of colonialism have made both countries too poor to afford a nuke, so it don't really matter that much. Iranians and the Saudis, Saudis and the Houthis, Saudis and the Qataris, Saudis and the Israelis, although now they're becoming friends because they both hate the Iranians more. In a way, Iran is really bringing the Middle East together. You got the Sudan and South Sudan, North Korea and South Korea. Matter of fact, if there's two countries with the same name, they definitely hate each other. And then, of course, you got the Israelis and the Palestinians. I said I'm not getting into it. God damn. All right, let's wrap this up. Last beef. America and everybody else. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to give it to you straight, kids. Every other country hates us. They all hate us. Some of them we invaded. Some of them we overthrew. Most of them we bombed. Some of them we saved from the Nazis, so I don't know why they mad. But it is what it is. The game is the game. But that leads me to my tip of the day, kids. If you ever travel abroad... Do what I do. Pretend you're Canadian. Hell yeah. You put that maple leaf on your head right there, man. Because see, here's the thing. If it's one country that nobody hates, it's Canada. To be honest, I don't know what that's all about. But I'm going to make it work for me. That's it for today, kids. See you next time in geography class. Yeah. I'm about to get on their ass this time. I'm about to get on they wrong. The police could kill a man on camera and get qualified immunity. And I'm tired of beefing with my own kind. I'm trying to find some unity. Tired of the foolery. The system abusing me. I got to ride with the tool of me. This shit ain't cool to me. But I'll be damned if I let you niggas make a fool of me. So I keep two on me. Uh, I done came a long way from the block with breakdowns. Finally opened my eyes when I had my daughter. Got tired of them shakedowns. The way I survived the game is still pain in my heart. I got a lot to say now. And I'ma show my whole ass on these motherfuckers. I ain't about to play around. Whatever happened to freedom of speech? Cause they telling niggas what to say now. When guilty ass don't wanna hear the truth. Try to act defend the shit pitiful. 
If I was you, I'd be miserable. This war we fighting is spiritual. In other words, I'm doing God's work when I turn thoughts into artwork. My words fly like darts work, specifically designed to hit the target. They don't even want to teach history the way it's meant to be because the shit is heartless. I might not change the world, but it's a chance I can spark the brain that's gonna get it started. Many die for me to walk like this, for me to talk like this, but the peace to Marcus. Uh, got my eyes behind the scope, and I ain't taking them but headshots. I got great aim, but my four five still came with a red dot. I got in this game, and I put this bitch in the headlock. Whenever you decide to become yourself, you become lonely. Right. Because everyone around you wants you to be like them, or they want you to be them. So when you discover that you are unique, you are special, you are important, and you decide to become who you are and achieve what you were dreaming, loneliness is the result. Uh, and I say this many times, and in my books I write about this, that every true vision only has one believer first. And it's the person who have that vision. Wow. And that's what makes it lonely. But what attracts people to you is when you decide that you don't care if you're lonely, you're still going to pursue the vision. That's right. So it's the, it's the desire to, to, to use your aloneness properly that makes people come to you. You're no longer alone. And so I, I have been alone most of the time. I'm lonely now because a leader is always lonely because they are out front. There's no one out there with them. When you think about it, if you have everyone around you, then you're part of the crowd. That's true. So leaders are, they live a lonely life, but they, they chose that loneliness. And that's important. You have to choose to be alone if you're going to change the world. And every great leader in history, as you study them, they really found their true self and they was alone. You know, Moses was in the wilderness. Jesus Christ is in the desert. Paul went to the desert, you know. And uh, so when you... When you pursue something that, that is more important than the crowd, you end up leading the crowd. Wow. Someone said, you cannot lead an orchestra uh, unless you turn your back to the crowd. Think about it for a minute. Wow. Yeah, so if you're going to be the leader, you got to turn your back. But why, why are you constantly having sex with that? Because most sodomy, most intercourse takes place between men and women. It doesn't matter. Homosexuality is not a person. It is the act. There is nothing like someone was born a gay, someone was born a lesbian. But I you, was born you were born with a penis. Yes. And a woman is born with a vagina. Yes. The penis is supposed to penetrate the vagina, not the anus. So you say. It's simply perversion and foolishness. Why are you obsessed with anuses? I'm not no, 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 no. I am telling you, fry. Eh? But you're obsessed with you anuses. See, when I'm you not say interested that... in anuses. I'm interested in men I fall in love with. When I'm you not say... with anuses. Don't you understand? No, 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 no. You're so basic realistic. But when your penis is penalizing my penis isn't. My penis doesn't do that. I'm not interested in sodomy and buggery. I am not interested. No, no. Forget about it. Uh, right. Get yourself right. perverted. Right. All you care about is penises and vaginas, isn't it? Can you listen to me? Sick. Can you listen to I me? I have been. And it's been you say you real lesson. Yeah. You say you are better. Yeah. Were yeah. you able to recognize that on the day you were of born? Of course I didn't. That's a joke. Now, why are you lying that you were born? Like, was the... oh. When did you first have... Uh... Let me put it to you this way. We are proud of being black and of our black heritage. But white America does not accept the concept that this is a multiracial society. It has never accepted the fact that there are black people, brown people, yellow people here alongside them. They've always looked upon America as being white. And hence, all of its propaganda is directed at us to convince us that somehow or the other we must become white before they will accept us. The problem is the standard for discussion is set by the whites. That and a lot of Negroes now don't want to accept that standard anymore. They want to, they say, it's, I, I, we're going to have our own standard. I think that the hookup comes if you can develop a whole new standard where whites and Negroes can have a dialogue. Not either one of those are acceptable anymore. I mean, whites aren't going to accept Negro standards, and Negroes no, no longer want to be white. So that the clear thing is to develop a whole new standard and then everybody moved toward that so they, so they can be some kind of dialogue. You know, from a child up, I always, at first I wanted to be white, you know, because 
My family was 20 of us, six girls and 14 boys. We would make 50 and 60 bales of cotton, gather all that cotton, and we wouldn't have food in the wintertime. So I figured then the white people must be right. But as I got older, I said, no, it's something wrong. And if I ever get a chance, I'm going to do something about it. I'm thinking about in terms of a better and a greater world for all people. And we can't do that by me in one corner doing what I can do to hurt you and you in the other corner doing the same thing against me. So you go ahead and vote. So what? So you vote for a senator. And the senator's constituency is either lobbyists, or lobbyists who represent big business or lobbyists who represent him, himself. So, what's, so what? So you can vote. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of shuffling of papers. But in terms of the, the plight of the black man in this country, there's been no perceptible change. Primarily because the white man has no reason to. He enjoys the highest standard of living. His government uh, enjoys dominance in world affairs. Why should he turn to me now and say, I want to share part of my good fortune with you? He has no reason to. I think there's going to be violence, see, because there already has been. I mean, when people try to free themselves, they kill Negroes in the South all the time. The Negro man has been emasculated and destroyed by that, by the fact that every time he stood up, he got just snuffed out right there. So I don't think there's any question but that there's going to be violence and brutality. But my attitude is that, is that the brutality and the violence shouldn't become the reason that you want to be free. But that's a very personal thing, the freedom is. See, the question isn't what is freedom to me, it's what price freedom. Because sometimes the price that you pay for freedom is the very thing that makes you a slave again. That's what I think happened in Russia in 1917. But I know that there's going to be violence. I mean, I think it gets blurred, especially the individual, if I face you violently. See, who knows where that violence began? See, I mean, I might, if I face you with a gun and you got, I got orders to kill you and you got orders to kill me, then we can't really deal with each other. Well, you're, you're a target and I'm a target. So you can't really talk about that. But you have to, you can talk about the larger thing, the much more universal thing. The reason that you're there, see, is really not to kill, but to free. Let us take a look at Harlem, 1964, when approximately 20 Molotov cocktails were exploded in Harlem. And in 1965, in August, in Watts, Los Angeles, 2,000 Molotov cocktails were exploded. I think that we are developing a, a more sophistication, and I think in the next uprising, and I suspect it will probably come through either in Washington, D.C., or in another unnamed uh, city, uh, where you're going to find 5,000 Molotov cocktails used. I believe that South Africa is a country in which black and white shall live together. Those are your words. What does it mean? It means that I and those gentlemen in the dark believe that South Africa is a plural society with contributions to be made by all segments of the community. Are you familiar with the language in some of these documents the accused have discussed with black groups? Yes, since some of those documents were drawn out by me. The one noting with concern and disgust the naked terrorism of the government? That is correct. You say naked terrorism. Do you honestly think that is a valid statement? Well, I think it is a far more valid statement than the charges against these men here. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yes, really. I'm not talking about words. I'm talking about the violence in which people are better on charge by police, beaten up. I'm talking about police firing on unarmed people. I'm talking about the indirect violence you get through starvation in the townships. I'm talking about the hopelessness, the desolation of the transit camps. Now, I think that, all put together, that constitutes more terrorism than the words these men have spoken here, but they stand charged. <laughs> and white society is not charged. When you and others in black consciousness speak, you say... Our true leaders have been banned and imprisoned on Robin Island. Yeah. Who are you referring to specifically? Uh, specifically, we refer to people like Mandela, Sabukwe, people like Govan and Becky. And is it not true that the common factor with these people 
is that they have advocated violence against the South African government. The common factor with these people is that they have selflessly pushed forward the struggle of the black men. So, your answer to this so-called naked terrorism is to provoke violence in the black community. No, our movement seeks to avoid violence. But your own words call for direct confrontation. That's right. We demand confrontation. Isn't that a demand for violence? Well, you and I are now in confrontation, but I see no violence. <laughs> but nowhere in these documents do you say that the white government is doing anything good? Well, it does so little good, my lord, that it is not worth commenting on. But surely that approach inflames racial hatred and anti-whiteism. My lord, blacks are not unaware of the hardships they endure or what the government is doing to them. We want them to stop accepting these hardships, to confront them. People must not just give in to the hardships of life. They must find a way, even in this environment, to, to develop hope. Hope for themselves. Hope for this country. I think that is what black consciousness is all about. Now, without any reference to the white man, to try and build up a sense of our own humanity, our legitimate place in the world. <laughs> But why do you use a phrase like, black is beautiful? Because black is commonly associated with negatives. The black market, the black sheep of the family, anything which is supposed to be bad. Then why do you use the word? Why call yourselves black? I mean, you people are more brown than black. Why do you call yourselves white? You people are more pink than white. <laughs> Precisely. Y'all running around here talking about snow bunnies better than what we say. Okay, well, white men did conquer y'all. They do hold most of the resources in society. They have all the power. They do have most of the social standing. Then get mad. Why? Why? You got dudes in the comment section talking about, oh, white men don't want y'all. How the fuck do you know what white men want? If you knew what white men wanted, y'all asses wouldn't be conquered because you would have seen it coming. Not black women on this app really co-signing and promoting and bragging about white supremacy like they weren't also a victim of it. This is what I mean about women can't handle rejection. They get feel rejected by black men because they dating white women and now they dating Asian women. So rejected that they are rooting on the destruction of black men. I see it in my comments, they say stuff like, that's why the police killing y'all. Or like this girl, this is why y'all conquered. We conquered too. Also, the research is clear. White men don't want y'all, none of the men do. Let me show you the statistics. Now, before y'all say this is fake news, this is peer-reviewed academic scholarly research. It's a creme de la creme of academia. What's it say? It says that black women are the least desirable women of all the women. They're below Asian, they're below Latin, they're below white. Way below, as you can see in the graph. We're black men. Black men are above Asian men. Black men are above Latin men. Black men are right there competing with white men, despite being conquered, despite Jim Crow, despite slavery, despite all the stereotypes and accusations against them. Despite 30% of us seeing prison in our lifetime because white men actually fear us. Do they fear y'all? You're just a big mouth, a big talking mouth. They don't fear you at all. That's why only 3% of black women will ever see prison. It also explains the unemployment rate in the black community. But y'all don't really care about that. You're too hurting your feelings. Just look at these geniuses in the comments. Facts. Yes, I love it. What's the problem? These preferences, no lies told. 
Everything. You should have seen it coming. You know who's the problem? Yourselves. reports from U.S. doctors were also learning that Dr. Fauci told coroners in the United States not to carry out autopsies. This is Dr. Ryan Cole who admitted that Fauci was telling doctors, sorry, not necessary, don't do autopsies, watch. So what's happened to the autopsy? Well, Anthony Fauci told our government to tell people don't do autopsies on COVID patients. You cannot find that for which you do not look. The UN Security Council had a meeting yesterday and Ray McGovern spoke to it. He is a former member of the CIA and he testified in support of Seymour Hersh's article on the United States bombing Nord Stream pipeline. If it is proven that the United States bombed the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, as has been asserted by Seymour Hersh and his article, will you call for the United States to acknowledge and admit that that was an act of war against Germany and Russia? And I'm asking this because this may be the only way to prevent the rest of us from being killed in a thermonuclear war. And I don't want to be fried. Don't you think the media should be reporting on whether or not this is true? And don't you think you should be inquiring into whether or not this is true? Well, thank you for the question. Uh, one, I've got no information to suggest uh, that the United States was involved in bombing the North Stream pipeline. Because he would have, he, he would have, you would have been, you weren't briefed on it. Sir, sir, you got your chance to ask the question. You weren't given information because he explicitly says you weren't briefed on it. Should it transpire, sir? So, here's what I'll say about, I think, President Biden's leadership generally as it relates to the Ukraine and Russia. We committed an act of war. What are you doing to respond to that? We have to hold Biden accountable. So listen, you're from Brooklyn, right? You know when to call bullshit when you see it. So do I. This is bullshit right now. And I see what's happening right now. That does not silence me. So you can hear me right now. I want you to say something about the bombing. Because we're all going to die from a nuclear war right now unless you stop it and you at least put an inquiry to whether or not it's true. This war in Ukraine is gonna leave us all dead. So what are you gonna do? Cause you need to inquire. Here's I'm a New Yorker too. Here's what I'll say. Say it. We're gonna continue to stand with the Ukrainian people. That's fucking it's bullshit. Do not do that, you won't end us all it dead. It is war against We need peace. We need talks. Because Why are you sabotaging talks? Do not put your hands on me. We need Ukraine peace talks. I am not gonna take this. It's we need peace talks. Between. You are Since 2014, we have watched as someone provokes Russia 
with the intention of causing this war. Well, here it is. It has started. And what is the plan? It's been a year. Only now we are talking about tanks. Why weren't they sent there on the first day, the German and American ones, which will not go there at all? All German tanks will be sent there, and over 1,000 tanks remaining from the USSR have already been destroyed. The same fate awaits these tanks. What is the goal of this war? To defeat a nuclear superpower that is at war on its own borders? Can you defeat such a state by conventional means? What is the answer? Is it possible to split it into pieces? And then, in despair, they will release 6,000 nuclear warheads and everyone will cry. Ursula von der Leyen said two months ago that 100,000 Ukrainian military had died. That means 250,000 wounded. If that is true, 150,000 have been dead by now. The Russians have an advantage in ammunition, artillery, an unlimited amount of it. And what is the solution? To leave Ukraine without men? I'm not the president of Ukraine, but I had sympathy for this country. Yesterday's pacifists and peace activists in the West now want to drink other people's blood, but without risk to themselves. It is deeply immoral what we are doing as a collective West, which doesn't really exist because there is no solution. The solution is not a change of government in Russia, and German tanks in Kharkov will further unite the Russians and bring them closer to China. It is already happening. It's politically irrational, and it hurts the West. The Navy divers, U.S. Navy divers, operating under the cover of a widely publicized midsummer NATO exercise known as Ball Tops 22, planes have remotely triggered explosives that three months later destroyed three of the four Nord Stream pipelines, according to a source with direct knowledge of the operational planning. Now, this piece continues. It's probably the most comprehensive news story you will read this year. See, workers on Substack, you should read it. And it recounts in detail meetings with the National Security Advisor at the White House, where this was planned, exactly what explosives were used, how they were triggered by what aircraft on what day. So many details in here that it is not possible that it's not true. It is true. I think this story has the same potential for destroying the ability of our president to rally the American people behind the war, because it shows something that's so dark. And it's so un-American. You know, this isn't us. We're not talking about us. This is a group of intelligence officers, CIA people. Provoking this war, just like we provoked the war in Ukraine, we are now provoking a war with China. And what, who benefits? I'll tell you right now. Your enemy is not China. Your enemy is not Russia. Your enemy is the military-industrial complex, which has been fleecing this country to the tunes of hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars. How many times are we going to have a defense secretary say, hey, we can't account for $2 trillion in the Pentagon again, that, which has happened twice now in my lifetime? So, again, people are being, uh, uh, the, the war machine cannot be stopped. Who's running this country? The war machine. It certainly isn't Joe Biden making these decisions. I would like to know who is making these decisions. And I just want to remind everybody, the United States is the world's terrorist. We just set the Middle East on fire in the last 20 years, and now we're doing a proxy war in Ukraine, which we provoked, NATO provoked, and was just admitted that we provoked it by the former prime minister of Germany. And now we're trying to save a ratter with, with China, and they're predicting a war. Again, China's not going to invade us. China's not our enemy. We might have an economic war. That's what these are. These are economic wars. These are wars for, in Ukraine. It's about liquefied natural gas and making sure Germany and Russia never come together because we fear Russia's uh, natural resources and manpower, and we fear them getting together with Germany with their technology and their capital. And so that's why we blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. That's why we're doing the Ukraine war. This is all about hegemony, imperialism, and economics. And if there's a Marine somewhere, it's there because they're about to steal some natural resources from another country. As everybody's screaming about what a bad guy Putin is for invading Ukraine, the United States is currently occupying a third of Syria. And which third is that? It's the third that has the oil. And how do I know we're there to steal their oil? Because the President of the United States said so.
So Ukraine is no longer simply losing the war, it's now losing very badly. And of course, you still wouldn't know this from the media, but uh, just yesterday, just since yesterday, there's been this rumor circulating on the internet that Ukraine's commander-in-chief, General Zaluzny, uh, has just complained to Lloyd Austin, the U.S. Defense Secretary, that Ukraine has already lost, at this point, 232,000 soldiers killed against Russia in this war that's now almost a year old. 232,000, close to a quarter of a million dead Ukrainian soldiers. Now, of course, this is only a rumor, but but compared to just a month ago, uh, compared to, to two months ago, or even just a month ago, such an uh, such an unbelievably large figure as that uh, for Ukraine's casualties no longer seems so outlandish. Uh, and in fact, by my by my own reckoning, uh, some of you who follow my channel, uh, you, if you scroll down uh, on my videos, you'll see that not long ago I gave a very detailed breakdown of my own estimates for Ukraine's casualties versus Russia's. By my own estimates, at this point, Ukraine has sustained no less than, one, than 150,000 dead. Uh, not 250,000, but, but 150,000 is still a huge figure uh, for, uh, for one year of fighting. Uh, and by contrast, the Russians at this point have still lost uh, less than 50,000 dead, more like 45,000. So we're talking, about, we're talking about a huge number of Ukrainian dead and a relatively small number at this point, especially of Russian dead. Uh, this, uh, this, this huge differential in, in, the, in the casualty ratio is really behind Ukraine's urgency now to get all these new Western weapons, especially tanks and even fighter jets. Uh, now, Ukraine would have you believe that, uh, that getting these weapons will, will allow it to really go back on the offensive. But in reality, in reality both, both Ukraine and its Western backers know that that these tanks and fighters, if, that these tanks that it's getting, and fighter jets, if it, if it does get them at some point, at this uh, right now, it still seems like it's not happening. Uh, whatever tanks and fighter jets Ukraine gets at this point, it's only going to—it's only to replace uh, the sheer, the sheer massive losses in this equipment, in, in its own Russian and Soviet era equipment that's that is already sustained now. Um, they're pretty much out. The Ukrainians are pretty much out of tanks, out of fighters, out of air defense systems. They're even running out of armored vehicles. Um, if you read the Russian battle reports, Ukrainian troops are going into action, even on the offensive, in nothing but pickup trucks, uh, souped-up pickup trucks, like Al-Qaeda militants in some cases, in many cases. The situation is very bad for, you, for Ukraine, and it's only going to get worse. Message is for my brothers and sisters, religious Jews from Al-Quds, from Jerusalem, from occupied Palestine, and from around the world. The religious communities who are true to our religion stand in total opposition to the occupation. Not a two-state solution, but to the entire occupation, the state of Israel. Why? Because Judaism is a religion of 3,000 years to be subservient to God. It's a covenant we made with God. It's 3,000 years old. But this state of Israel is a ideology, a nationalist movement started a little over 100 years. That is a rebellion against God. It's an Erzatz Judaism. They're masquerading in the name Israel in the, with the Star of David, with Jewish symbols, and they're rebelling against God. They are stealing the homes of the Palestinians. They are trampling on the words of the Torah that forbids Jews to make their own sovereignty since the destruction of the temple 2,000 years ago. This is a fact, and in fact, our rabbis in Palestine. Um, President Emmanuel Macron uh, of France has weighed in. Now, here's what he said, I think it was on New Year's Eve. France will continue to help Ukraine, quote, without fail, and quote, until victory itself. We will build a just and durable peace together. Count on France and count on Europe. Is he talking about troops? What is he talking about as you understand this? Or is this just political pabulum uh, for, for the French press? Uh, I think it's uh, a combination of all the above. He's also made comments about finding a way forward that's not going to involve compelling Russia to give up all of its gains. 
he said he's already said publicly we can't expect the Russians to give up uh, Crimea and he said we should have pressed ahead in the Minsk agreements and done a better job with Luhansk and Donetsk and so forth I think it depends on which audience he's talking to and when you hear it all right here's um, General Stoltenberg uh, the commander uh, of NATO I call on allies to do more it is in all our security interests to make sure Ukraine prevails and Russian President Vladimir Putin, he mentions him by name, does not win. This is pretty direct and in your face, Secretary General of NATO to President of Russia, isn't it, Colonel? Well, let's stop and think about what he's just said. How many times did you hear FDR or any of the leading lights uh, in the U.S. military or the government during World War II complain about the failure of the British or the Soviets to do enough? This is a trick question. Yeah. Never. All right? right? That's nonsense. We never made those kinds of comments because they were in the fight long before we were and they were heavily engaged. We were giving them everything we could to keep them engaged until we could bring force to bear against them. My point is, if this were a successful operation, a successful war effort, you wouldn't be begging your allies to do more. The truth of the matter is that Europeans overwhelmingly want nothing to do with this war and their governments know it. Is there military significance to what uh, Secretary General Stoltenberg said? Does he command troops? Can he order troops in? Stoltenberg is a mouthpiece for whomever governs Washington for whomever is president of the United States, whatever the administration is. He says and does what Washington tells him to. And he can snap his fingers, he can crack his whip, but you can't create armies and forces out of nothing. It takes a long time to put people into organizations, into formations, train them, equip them. This is not something you do quickly. And frankly speaking, that's why we've been waiting for several months now, watching the Ukrainians impale themselves on Russian defenses because the Russians are doing exactly that. They're getting ready all of these massive military formations to attack. So what if we start going down the list, and the, the French army is designed to conduct safaris in North Africa. The British army is smaller and less capable. You know, the United States Marine Corps is larger and better equipped and, and better organized to fight than most of the European forces. The Poles are now bringing up, we think, 200,000 men. I'm told they've already got 90,000 mobilized, and they're trying to get them ready so that they can build their army up, presumably to defend Poland, but I worry about other things as we well, know. General, I am very concerned about Poland. You you and I have discussed this. You know this better than almost anybody. There's 90,000 Poles on active duty. There's 40,000 Americans intermingling and training with them. They are just east, excuse me, they are just west of the Pol Poland-Ukraine border. Now you tell me that this crazy president of Poland who thinks that somehow Crimea is gonna go back to Ukraine when this is over, is about to add 250,000 more troops. Oh, absolutely. That's where the hair trigger could occur, in my view, that would start World War III. What do you think? Well, here's the other thing. They're, the Poles see themselves as a great nation that has been deprived of its opportunity to be great. They're, they were great 400 years ago. They were powerful in, in Europe, the largest state in Europe, the most powerful military force in Europe 400, 500 years ago. They would really like to be that again. And so when you you're, listen carefully to the polls and you watch their television, they're talking about expanding Poland to regain control of territories they once governed. That's not necessarily a NATO objective. And I don't think that the majority of NATO partners are going to stand by and say, oh, yes, charge forward. Let's support the annexation of Western Ukraine. And by the way, Minsk used to be part of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Oh, that, that, that would be insane. That would be insane. Of course. So the Poles are, the Poles are not playing with a full deck in, in really in strategic terms right now. Right. And we're doing nothing to rein them in. On the contrary, we're encouraging them.
Oh, I put the blue oh. ribbon on the seats. You have a shot Lamb of God and the Prince of Peace. We a nation comprised of kings and priests. We're keeping up a sock and feast and weeks. And my sister sends a battle, we've been falling. Fuse getting that dirty money, that's all clean. Better answer the phone when he's calling. Spiritual treasure falling like it's falling. All kind of fringes yeah. on my body got me drip, drip. My niggas got it out the mud, we used to flip zips. If I got up on a handy, I'm a sip sip. I ain't talking prescription pills when I stick to the script. I was lost in the sauce, I didn't forget that. I still go back to the block for my people, I give back. Telling crack the pregnant women, my nigga, I did that. Now I'm praying to God, hoping he forgive that. Cause I'm in the truth now, I know you heard that. Fifth and Broadway on the corner where we teach the word at. Ironically, that's the same place we used to serve packs. Had no love for my people, but I had to purge that. The scriptures are for us, bias like it's food, boo. The blood of your house was shy like a Subaru. Shout out to Haiti Levi, put that boo-hoo. We got it popping now. Boo-hoo. I put the blue ribbon on the seats. You have a shot. Lamb of God and the Prince of Peace. We a nation comprised of kings and priests. We're keeping up a sock and feast and weeks. And my sister sends a battle, we've been falling. Fuse getting that dirty money, got it all clean. Better answer the phone when he's calling. Spiritual treasure falling like it's falling. Yeah, yeah. Falling like it's falling, yeah, yeah.